Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 155 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a quick update on the Chase Scanlon situation in Syracuse. But then I want to go into talking about the top five teams in the country and the key players that they need to see play well and finish strong in order for them to, you know, make the NCAA tournament, advance through the NCAA tournament in trying to get their teams to a Final Four. I'll talk about some games that are upcoming here this week, uh, starting with the uh, Duke at Notre Dame game on Thursday night, and then we have a couple of games on Saturday that we'll talk about, and maybe we'll get into some random crap beyond that. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself swag, t-shirts, hats, all that good stuff. Let's not waste any more time, and let's get into it. I want to talk about some guys that I think need to kind of either pick it up or just continue at their current paces, but we're going to talk about some key players for some of the top teams in the country here, and we're just really going through the top five and listing some players here. A lot of them are going to be obvious picks, some of them maybe not so obvious. So we're going to start with my number one, Duke, and the player I want to talk about is Michael Sowers, and you'd say, well, duh. You know, he's, he's their best player, so on and so forth. But there's a couple of reasons I want to speak on Sowers and why I think he is key to Duke's success and why I think they still have some things they have to figure out uh, with Sowers and with that offense as a whole. So Sowers, everybody knows it. Quickest feet since Mike Powell. No defender can keep pace when he dodges with space, but Duke's offense hasn't really utilized his best trait, and those are kind of longer dodges that are drawn out from, let's say, a top corner all the way down the alley to goal line extended or from out back dodging all the way up to, let's say, a high wing and then turning around and going back. One of the problems with Duke's offense is they kind of give guys quadrants. They they, they used to run a, a heavy pairs sets and now they they really just kind of guys are dodging in quadrants so if you're an attackman dodging from x you kind of have a 90 degree angle to cover and it really doesn't let them kind of venture out into the high wing all that much now there's other guys that do dodge you know and sweeps from out top but sours primarily has been relegated to dodging from wings and it's the low wing kind of that gle wing and then from x and i think that you end up missing out on a lot of his feeding capabilities when you when you don't let him get those longer dodges in now Dude's got 25 goals, 30 assists over 11 games. So he's doing well. He was on a tear through Duke's non-conference schedule. And then he went 3-3 and against Syracuse in their first ACC matchup. But since then, he's got just four goals and an assist over Duke's last three games. All of them ACC matchups. Duke is 2-1 and over that three-game stretch where he's you know struggled a bit. but and, and I wouldn't necessarily call it struggling. I think some of the point limitation is just due to the flow of those games. But... The reality here is there's a couple things that Duke can do to get Sowers rolling. One of them, try to get him rolling off ball a little bit. There was a very nice play where 
O'Neal was kind of dodging out top, top corner, across the top, and Sowers cut underneath and got an easy off-ball goal, assist credited to O'Neal. He did a lot of that at Princeton. That was one of the, the things I had always said when he was at Princeton, and I would preview him, uh, and I previewed him last year for 2020 season at Princeton, was that he can do everything. He can play off-ball. He can carry the ball in QB with, with the best of them, possibly one of the best to ever do it, but... He could also play well off ball. He, he did a great job of letting kind of the game come to him and he would take what the defenses gave him and he had to do that because he was garnering so much attention. And I think so far in this Duke offense, they haven't utilized him the same way he was being utilized at Princeton. And that, that helps Duke's offense because other guys develop. So they don't need Sowers to be carrying the ball 75 to 80% of the time. But not having him carry the ball as much, you do end up just not getting as much flow through him, which you could generate. So I feel like getting him more involved off ball is going to be key, especially where teams are shutting him off. Because if you end up putting him in the crease area, end up having him cut underneath, there's a few scenarios where help might typically come from his man and it might not come as quickly. And Duke has been doing that a little bit, using him as a decoy. But I want to see Sowers get more done off ball. And I'd like to see, see them let Sowers or maybe try, you know, maybe it's not a matter of letting him, but I would like to see some of the focus on his dodging put on longer dodges that allow him to kind of run straight, use his feet, his speed makes the defender just has to keep running and can't really throw checks on him as he's dodging, let's say from a corner down or from X up. And then that ends up keeping his hands free. Guys can cut off ball and do things as he's doing that. And we haven't seen a lot of that. I'd like to see some more of that out of Sowers. And I think that will be key to Duke's success down the road. They can't allow Sowers to go stagnant and to only put up two, three points a game. They need to get him involved again and get him back to that four, five, six points a game threshold here. That's going to be key. Next guy, and this is another no-brainer. This is Maryland. That's my number two, Jared Bernhardt. So you, once again, you're like, oh, you're just talking about the best players for every team. Maybe, but uh, you, we'll, we'll switch it up here and we'll get off the offensive side of the ball here shortly. Jared Bernhardt, pound for pound, the toughest Dodger in college, college lacrosse overall. He's relentless. He comes at you with anger, plays with both resolve and rage, and probably does that more so than any attackman in the field here right now. 39 goals, 18 assists, six points or more in seven of their nine games, four seven-point games, and he has an eight-point game in there. He was five and three, five and two, and six and one in their last three games against Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, respectively. His shooting percentage is 60% or higher in the last three games, 50% uh, the game before that. So he's been at 50% or higher the last four games. Now, the knock on Bernhardt is going to be, well, he's playing in the Big Ten this year with no out-of-conference play. So that's just helping him pad these stats. To pretend Bernhardt wouldn't put up five or six points against their non-conference opponents that they normally play is a little bit short-sighted. Maybe it's naive. I don't know what you would, would generally classify that as. But Jared Bernhardt right now is playing like the best player in the country. I'm not saying he is the best player in the country. My, my feeling is still Mike Sowers is the best player in the country overall, but Bernhardt, I mean, in terms of his production, it's been off the charts. It's been consistent. He's done it every single game so far this year, weak opponents or no. He has been the focal point of his team's offense, and he has gotten it done 
every single game so far. So Jared Bernhardt, the, the, the point here is he just needs to do more of that. And then you can make the argument Logan Wisnowskis has maybe been a little bit more quiet than he has been in the past, but you can make the argument Maltz, Maltz emerging as a threat has kind of taken a little bit of the off-ball uh, looks that maybe would have gone to Wisnowskis traditionally, and now it's kind of getting mixed up between the two of them. What's really key here, though, is that Jared Bernhardt is playing like an absolute animal, and he needs to keep doing that for Maryland. Notre Dame. I now want to talk about Notre Dame here, and we're going to talk about Kyle Thornton. He's been Notre Dame's best defender statistically most of this year. Now, I say statistically because the problem with defenders is sometimes a team's best defender ends up getting the least amount of stats out of any defender on that team because uh, you know the other teams avoid the best defenders in the game. That's why you didn't you don't see guys like JT Giles Harris put up a boatload of takeaways because dudes kind of don't test him. And then often in his case, he's not necessarily the one always guarding the number one. So anyway, Thornton though, no question has been this team's best defender on paper for a fact. And then he's doing it on the field and he's passing the eye test and everything else. Thornton, as you might not know, was a pen transfer. He was one of the pen transfers here from this past year, a COVID transfer as we'd call them. 13 caused turnovers and 13 ground balls so far for Thornton. He's forced eight turnovers in Notre Dame's last three games, four against UVA, two against Cuse, and then two against Duke. So Thornton, this dude is balling. This dude is helping anchor that defense. And be sure, Notre Dame has two other really good close polls. Uh, they've got Kilty and they've got uh, Cohen, and uh, Entman's been playing well in cage. Um uh, they got the long pole there, Jose, who's playing really well. I mean, Notre Dame defensively is as good as it gets. Uh, their short stick D mids are playing great. But Kyle Thornton, for, for Notre Dame to continue to succeed, it's going to be key because whether he's their best defender or maybe he's their second or third best defender who's just benefiting from a matchup, he needs to continue to score those cause turnovers, pick up those GBs, get the ball moving the other way and away from Notre Dame's defense and their goal mouth, and he's been doing that so far. He just needs to keep that up. So that's been huge for Notre Dame. Virginia, we're going to get back into the offensive side here, and we're going to talk about an offensive guy again. Matt Moore is going to be key for Virginia. Once again, well, you're kind of talking about their best player, but he's not even their leading scorer, and there's a few things that I think Matt Moore needs to do in order for UVA to be at their best. When he's good, he's great. When he's good, he's one of the best in the country, period. When he's not good, he he does tend to hurt UVA. In their three losses, he shot the ball 0% against Syracuse, 13% against UNC, and 17% against Duke. Those are his three lowest shoot, you know, worst shooting days of the year, and they just so happen to be UVA's only three losses so far this year. But I say but, and I throw this out there with a big capital B-U-T. You can throw another T on the end of it if you're a weirdo. Um, you're usually willing to live and die by Matt Moore. He's that good. He's a high-volume shooter. He's a guy you can make the argument that a lot of offenses would kill to have a guy that could get separation or get shots off even without separation the way that Moore does because sometimes when your best player gets shut down, they just don't get shots off. At least Moore is getting shots off. My problem is that lately, and, and, and surrounded by talent, he's forced it a little bit. You know, forced it a little bit. He was uh, two and six against UNC, 
and they win that game here recently. He was he had just two goals and way too many shots against Duke. I think he had two goals and 12 shots against Duke in that loss to Duke. And I think in that game specifically, had he been willing to just not take some of those shots that he forced while JT Giles Harris was beating him up, I think Virginia is in that game a little better. Had he just said, hey, that wasn't my day, that wasn't my dodge, let's give it up and give it to somebody else and let them go, like Cormier or somebody, for, for heaven's sake. 24 goals, 26 assists, nothing to uh, bat an eye at. But against Syracuse here this Saturday, he needs to be the best version of himself. And that way, as long as he is, they probably beat Syracuse in Charlottesville at home. But uh, Syracuse is going to be looking to try to repeat that shutdown of him. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Moore will probably have a pretty big day. And I expect a dogfight down in Charlottesville, regardless of what, what happens. But Moore... Going, going forward, I think he's going to have to take care of the ball a little bit better because it's been kind of trending a little bit more towards some of those four shots are just straight-up turnovers. You, you take one of those four shots and it doesn't miss the cage and you back it up, now you just turn the ball over and gave it back to the other team. So he's just got to watch that, make sure he's not doing that as much. Next up, last one we're going to talk about, UNC. And I'm not going to talk about Chris Gray here. I think the key to UNC's success down the road going to be Colin Creek has been 54% between the pipes or better in five of UNC's last six games. He's been above 60% in three of those contests. He had a nice bounce back game against Syracuse with a 13 save performance. He put up 20 saves in UNC's win over UVA earlier in the season in their loss to UVA. He only made 15 saves and he gave up 18 goals. I mean, 15 saves, that's a pretty good game, but in that that first win over UVA, he made 20 saves. In the second one, 15 saves. They end up losing. He gave up 18 goals in that loss in the rematch. I think it looks like he's going to have to stand on his head for the remainder of the uh, season in these ACC games for him to be able, you know, for, for UNC to get over these two losses and try to put themselves back in a position where they could potentially win the ACC. Not that it matters. The winner of the ACC doesn't get anything. There is no ACC tournament this year, so they're just having a – they'll crown someone the regular season winner, and you're really just jockeying for position here at this point. But uh, Notre Dame, they have uh, – or UNC, they have Notre Dame and Duke left, so those are the two teams that he has to stand on his head against in these next two games. But if he can come up with 15, 18 saves, they'll be in both of those games and could potentially win them and kind of change the face of the ACC and how the tournament seedings will pan out for the NCAA tournament. Now we're done with that. Let's move on to the weekend game previews. And actually, before we do that, let's talk about Chase Scanlon real quick. One of the things a lot of people are saying, oh, he was a bad teammate, bad in the locker room. Maybe he had some kind of blow up in the locker room after the UNC game or something like that. And I mean, those those things could be true. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I don't know what the true story is, but I have heard from numerous sources that it may not actually be a in the field or in the locker room issue and this may actually be more of a personal off-the-field issue uh, that's tied to this. And if it's what people have been saying, it's not good. So I don't know what the deal is here. T's and P's, though, to uh, to Scanlon, because if he needs some help, he needs some help or whatnot. And then, uh, you know, to the lacrosse, Syracuse lacrosse family, um, uh, all that crap. So hopefully they handle that. Hopefully what I've heard is not true. Uh, that would be That would be ideal. But if it is true, I hope everyone involved gets the help they need and gets through this. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to say anything else. I mean, you guys have all heard the rumors, or some of you have heard the rumors. If you haven't, they're kind of out there all over the place, and I am not going to be the person 
to discuss those types of things in public. One thing I will say, and I, I hear a lot of people talking about how in the lacrosse world, everybody wants lacrosse to be as big as basketball and football, but in the lacrosse world, they don't want it to come with the same scrutiny that comes with basketball and football. It's it's no thing to trash a college kid in the basketball or the football world, but you trash a college kid in the lacrosse world or you just tell the truth in the lacrosse world and all of a sudden you're committing some terrible heinous act or whatnot. So, I mean, you know, people, you got to – these are college athletes. They are playing at the highest stage. They are getting some money here. You know, they're getting opportunities and things like that. We're going to talk about these kids as lacrosse gets bigger and bigger. What my deal is is just I don't want to be the one to talk about shit that I don't know for sure uh, where it's the case. So once it's someone else that's willing to incur that risk decides to speak publicly about what has happened, maybe I will after that. But until then, I prefer to just know things and not share them, even if that sometimes pisses people off because I'm kind of being cryptic about this. But I just don't want to be the guy spouting off things that aren't true or, you know, I don't want to be the guy making, you know, personal matters worse for some of these dudes. But to some degree, we got to be able to talk about it. So, all right. That's the end of that. Let's get into the weekend game previews. We got Duke at Notre Dame. Talked about it just a little bit. Notre Dame won the first meeting 13-8 in Durham. Duke is 3-1 and one in the ACC with games against Notre Dame and North Carolina left. Notre Dame is 2-1 and one in conference with Duke and North Carolina and Syracuse left. With no tournament or automatic qualifier, the winner of the ACC in the regular season decides seeding for the NCAA tournament more than anything else. This isn't going to be, you know, some, hey, we're getting into the ACC tournament and then the winner gets an automatic qualifier. The ACC does not get any automatic bid. So right now, it's Duke and Notre Dame at the top of the ACC with each only having one conference loss and UNC sitting right behind them at 2-2. Two and two. Good news for UNC, they still have Duke and Notre Dame left on their schedule. So the two teams they need to beat are the two teams that they have left on their schedule. So if they handle their business and they can win out, they could still kind of win that regular season title. But like I said, it's just a matter of jockeying for seeding in the NCAA tournament. And I'm not even sure how much that matters because it's not like the NCAA tournament has ever in lacrosse has ever actually done the seeding properly. There have been years where the one seed has gotten screwed worse than the three or four seed because of how the regionality comes into play there. So you know, I'm, I'm not sure it even really matters outside of you just want to get the head, you know, win the head game against your opponents, get some wins. That's going to be a huge game. That game is Thursday night. I'll be watching that out at a restaurant with a buddy, maybe some buddies. We'll see how that goes. UMBC at Stony Brook. Stony Brook's only conference loss is to UMBC. UMBC is 5-2 and two in the conference play, and Stony Brook is at the 6-1 and one mark right now. Vermont is at play with a 5-1 and one conference record, and Albany is on the fringe with a 4-2 and two conference, conference record. And the weird part about how this all plays out, Vermont's lone conference loss comes to, at the hands of UMBC, just like Stony Brook's does. Vermont still has Bingo, Albany, and Stony Brook left. Stony Brook has UMBC and Vermont left. So Stony Brook, they could win out, handle their business, boom, they probably win the conference, and then I think there is an America East tournament, so who knows what the regular season conference title really even means outside of, once again, jockeying for position, trying to get, uh, uh, trying to get maybe an at-large bid in the event you don't win the tournament and get the automatic qualifier. Um, but weirdly, UMBC is the team that handed the two top America East teams their losses, but then UMBC lost to Binghamton. So it's kind of a weird thing in the America East, but you got those three teams at the top, Stony Brook and Vermont right at the top, UMBC right below them, and then Albany kind of hanging out below. I don't think, I think Albany's a real long shot at this point. UMBC, they can win out, boom, they're in business here. But that that game here, 
on Saturday is going to be a big one. All right, next one up. Syracuse at Virginia. Cuse, they smoked UVA at the Dome in their early ACC contest, but UVA has been playing some inspired lacrosse as of late, picking up wins over Notre Dame and UNC. Syracuse has murked UVA at the faceoff dot in their first meeting. Fop and Varello handled Petey LaSala, which has not happened again since that game, pretty much. Petey LaSala went from getting beat badly in that game in a loss to becoming one of the best faceoff guys in the country, if not the best faceoff guy in the country. So that's going to be a key matchup there. Can Petey LaSala get revenge? Can he win more draws than Cuse? Or maybe Cuse wins more draws, but LaSala, as is typical with him, puts up a point in a, in a helper or something like that. Goal and assist, and that will, like I always say, offset uh, losing at the dot overall. But eh, right now, between UVA's lineup gelling and Cuse now being forced to shuffle their lineup around to try to figure out you know, how they're going to play without Scanlon, it, it's kind of up in the air in this one. UVA could come out and they could wax Cuse the way that they're playing, or maybe Cuse with a little bit of a lineup shuffle. Maybe they come out and play some inspired lacrosse and beat down UVA again. It, it's a must win for Syracuse because they have two games left. As everybody knows by now, I've said it ad nauseum, two games left against UVA and Notre Dame. If they lose both of those games and they don't reschedule a replacement for the Utah game, they are not tournament eligible. So right now, Syracuse has to win either against Virginia or Notre Dame. My thought is if they beat one of those teams, they may not reschedule that last game that got canceled. If they lose both of those games, they're going to have to. So I feel like we haven't seen them add that next game yet. If they don't add it by Saturday, I bet you if they lose Saturday, they add that game almost immediately that week and hopefully they end up adding a cupcake like Sienna or they can play the art kids at Canisius or something like that. We'll see how it happens, but that is going to be a hell of a ball game. And uh, I'll be, I'll be tuning into that. Obviously I have a birthday party that kind of is around it. So I'm going to be watching it on my phone at a birthday party. It's the first game of the year that I'll not had first Saturday of the year that I won't have spent all day Saturday watching lacrosse army. At Navy, the Patriot League, they have Lehigh sitting at the top with a 7-0 record and only one game left to play, so it's their conference to lose at this point. Army, 4-1, is right behind them, but Lehigh holds the tiebreaker, at least in terms of the regular season title, over Army. So they come into this contest, uh, but Army, you know, they come into this Army-Navy game the favorite, I think. Navy got beat 13-7 by Lehigh, but bounced back by getting revenge on Loyola, winning 14-12 in their second matchup against Loyola. Loyola beat Navy earlier in the year. Army, too, lost to Lehigh, but then beat Loyola and Boston U as follow-ups and as tune-ups getting into this game. I think for this game, Nick Turn's going to be too much for Navy. Army's going to probably win by three to five or so on the road, but a hell of a game here this weekend. The uh, the famous, always fun to watch, Army at Navy, or Army-Navy. Delaware at Towson. The CAA has been another crazy conference. Delaware, they won this game earlier in the season by a single goal then that was kind of where Towson proved, hey, we're going to hang here. We, we may have sucked last year, but we're going to hang this year. Blue Hens sitting at top, atop the CAA with a 5-1 and one conference record, record, and Drexel is right behind them at 4-2. and two. However, Drexel has the head-to-head over Delaware, so Delaware has to make sure not to drop any unnecessary games here in their last two, and they play Towson and UMass, both capable of beating the Blue Hens, but as long as the Blue Hens do their job, they should win both of these games here. Drexel, they're going to have to handle business against a feisty Hofstra, and they also have to play Towson, which will be their season finale. 
So Delaware, they're in the driver's seat at this stage as long as they win out. But this conference has proven to be exciting, just like a bunch of the other conferences have have proven to be pretty exciting as well. And uh, that's going to be it for today. Uh, Saturday, we will do the Saturday morning live stream. I won't bail on it like I had to last week. I just needed another another uh, day off of the live stream here. The wife gave me permission. That was all it took. I went gun gun shopping and all that crap. Didn't end up buying a new gun, but I did go look at some guns. So that is all. Uh, we will be back Saturday morning for the live stream and then Sunday for the whole weekend recap show with the highlights and all that crap. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Be sure to like, subscribe, and then go to laxfactor.com to support us beyond that. And Hoost is out.